Chapters four and five of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Four. Blind Man's Buff. Sylvia speedily left her corner, tired of watching the little groups of people stop to shake hands and talk to one another for five minutes or so, as if the world held no greater affection than the love that bound them, and then separate and stroll away to exchange the same enthusiastic greetings with other groups a bird's-eye view of the headingham school bazaar conduced somewhat to the idea that there was something hollow in polite society people smiled so incessantly and seemed so inexpressibly glad to see one another yet sylvia saw some of those very enthusiasts yawn rather drearily when the gaze of society was off them she went back to the middle of the orchard where the children were playing blind man's buff they entreated her to join this sport nay besought her with such earnestness the vicar himself being master of the revels and some of the elderly young ladies joining in the juvenile play with gushing vivacity that she could hardly refuse she yielded reluctantly but with a tolerable grace and very soon afterwards was seized upon by a hulking boy who put his rough hands over her face and head fastened his claws triumphantly upon her coronet of shining plates and bawled out that he had caught miss carew upon this the handkerchief was bound over sylvia's eyes and after being asked some absurd question about her father's horses she was twisted round three times by the vicar's friendly hand and told to catch whom she could she did not enter the game with much spirit so the elderly young ladies remarked to each other maliciously such simple sports had no attraction for sylvia carew they said since there were no young gentlemen here to admire her sylvia did indeed glide about somewhat listlessly among the gnarled trunks of the apple and cherry trees more fearful of wounding her face against the crooked branches than eager to capture one of the revellers she stretched out her arms now and then feebly and tried to pierce the folds of the handkerchief and even raised her head to look under it but the vicar had made his bandage secure justice herself was not blinder than sylvia carew presently the girls and boys grew quieter there was less screaming and bawling at every doubtful step she took among the trees she fancied she heard strange voices the voices of gentry talking at a little distance one voice with a low languid tone that was new to her and different from most of the headingham voices lacking that fine hearty loudness which distinguished the natives of the land she groped on wearily giving her head more than one bump against the rugged branches whose rough bark caught and dragged her hair but reaching nothing with her outspread arms except those interlacing boughs which seemed to encounter her everywhere dense as the undergrowth of that dreadful forest where the torn trees rained blood she was beginning to be very tired and to long for the summons to prepare the tea-tables anything so that she were but released from this hateful game when some one came plump into her arms she clasped the some one eagerly and was immediately saluted by a loud hurrah in which the vicar's voice joined heartily as if she had done something wonderful in catching this person it was neither boy nor girl belonging to the parish school no starched cotton frock no corduroy jacket encountered her curious fingers but the smoothest broadcloth the soft velvet collar of a gentleman's coat was it edmund standon her first thought was of him her light fingers trembled upon the garment which they wandered over no it was some one who was neither so tall nor so big as edmund her lifted hand touched his uncovered head the soft silky hair was smooth and thin not thick and wavy like edmund's i don't know who it is she said helplessly 
disappointed at discovering that it was not edmund standen although after what he had said she had no reason to expect him but love and reason do not always go hand in hand then you must pay forfeit cried the shrill voice of a bold big boy the kind of boy whom nothing can abash and what is the forfeit asked the voice of the prisoner the same low languid tone sylvia had noticed a few minutes ago a kiss bawled the irrepressible boy then i venture to claim my privilege said the gentleman and a mustachioed lip touched sylvia's very lightly it was the reverential salute of a courteous knight a gentle hand loosened the bandage and she found herself standing almost in the centre of the orchard face to face with an elderly gentleman the vicar the boys and girls and elderly young ladies all looking on the gentleman was a stranger a man of between fifty and sixty nearer perhaps to the later decade than to the earlier a man with a certain elegance of bearing and appearance that was new to sylvia a man with a long oval face and that regular cast of feature which seems to bear the stamp of high blood a face not unlike the portraits of charles i or rather that kind of face grown older with smooth silver-gray hair parted on the high narrow forehead and a long drooping moustache shading the thin lips the eyes were blue and looked kindly at sylvia nay more than kindly admiringly that admiring glance brought a vivid blush into the girl's fair face she was not sorry that the little world of headingham should see her admired by this stranger who seemed a person of distinction fairly caught i think sir aubrey said the vicar chuckling sylvia gave a little start and looked up at the stranger with those hazel eyes that had bewitched edmund standen eyes which were lovely enough to subjugate even those colder critics who depreciated the schoolmaster's daughter she looked up at the elderly gentleman with unconcealed surprise this was sir aubrey Perriam then and it was his presence which had caused the flutter of excitement in the orchard an alertness in the manner of the vicar and his little band of spinsters a respectful hush among the children who stood in a wide ring staring their utmost and breathing harder than ever fairly caught repeated the vicar pleased that the great landowner should join so pleasantly in these village sports it would lead doubtless to a handsome subscription to the school fund fairly caught i admit said sir aubrey's softer tones as he bent down with a chivalrous air and kissed the little hand that hung helplessly at sylvia's side this touch of old-world gallantry thrilled her with a new sense of triumph she wished that mrs standen had been by to see sir aubrey's notice of her come said the vicar briskly now for the tables it's almost tea-time it would not do to waste any more moments in the contemplation of that little group which formed the centre of the circle sylvia blushing and downcast yet with a pleased look in the half-veiled hazel eyes and on the smiling lips sir aubrey Perriam looking at her with courtly elderly gentlemanlike admiration the two making a graceful picture against that background of sunlit orchard it was all proper and pleasant enough a great country gentleman admiring a beautiful villager and so on but mr vancourt the vicar felt that any prolongation of the little scene might have been unclerical he clapped his hands sharply as if to dispel some subtle magic lurking in the air called to his votaries and set the teacups and saucers rattling in such a way as to awaken a deeper dreamer than sir aubrey Perriam. sylvia went to her duties much better pleased with life in general than she had been half an hour ago sir aubrey Perriam had admired her and her little world had seen his admiration 
that must have been a stab to the hearts of those proud christians who had cut her remorselessly a little while before mary peter and alice cook had also witnessed her brief triumph and though she considered those associates of her girlhood infinitely beneath her she liked them to behold her success she jingled the cups and saucers gaily as she ranged them along the narrow deal-table with its clean white cloth she laboured cheerfully at her task of bread and butter cutting though it promised to be endless you remind me of the heroine of a famous romance said a voice very near her and she looked up with a sudden blush sylvia's complexion was one to which blushes are natural a word or a look brought the carnation tint to that delicately pale face it was sir aubrey who was walking up and down the clear space between the tables with mr vancourt he had made a brief round of the fancy fair spent a sovereign at one of the stalls and had come to the orchard to see the school-children at play just five minutes or so before he was captured by sylvia perhaps he had put himself a little in the way of this capture when he saw the white-robed figure coming towards him with outstretched arms once in the orchard sir aubrey seemed to prefer its rustic attractions to the fascinations of the fair stall-keepers in the adjoining meadow the glare of the sun yonder was more than i could endure he said as if to apologize for this preference now here these fine old trees give a delightful shade and the turf is softer i should like to see those young people at tea the vicar whispered to one of his faithful adherents and five minutes afterwards as if by magic a comfortable garden armchair the most luxurious thing in garden chairs was placed near the head of the tables for sir aubrey perriam's accommodation it had been brought from the vicarage on the spur of the moment mr vancourt was resolved that if sir aubrey were well disposed towards the schools there should be nothing to damp his ardour sir aubrey sank into the garden seat with a contented air and looked about him benignly while those hungry children were fed sylvia and the other ladies went to and fro with heaped-up plates and administered to those devouring scholars piles of currant cake innumerable buns mountains of bread and butter vanished before those youthful consumers sylvia had hard work sometimes she was at the head of one table pouring out tea ready milked and sugared for individual tastes could hardly be considered among so many from a huge white pitcher sometimes at the bottom of the other table cutting up a fresh cake the supplies had been liberal but the demand equalled them sir aubrey surveyed the whole proceedings with evident interest but those among the vicar's lady friends who had time to watch him closely observed that his eyes seemed to wander after sylvia carew wherever she went if she vanished for a few minutes from his sight his glance grew listless and it seemed to brighten when she reappeared whereupon the headingham ladies put him down as a wicked elderly gentleman they had no opinion of any one who admired sylvia carew to be caught by that showy beauty was the mark of an inferior mind edmund standon was supposed to be on the road to ruin directly he was seen walking with sylvia carew and now behold sir aubrey perriam to whom all headingham paid homage as in duty bound seemed about to enter upon the same pernicious path more than once had sylvia herself met the glance of those mild elderly eyes it was a glance that set her thinking curiously of what might have happened had she not loved and been beloved by edmund standon five how it came to pass 
dean house which had belonged for the last twenty years to the standons lay about half a mile from headingham and the land belonging to it was to another parish although the standons were always considered headingham people they had their pew in headingham church which had not yet been restored in the modern medieval style of open oak seats they subscribed to all headingham charities and in a word belonged to headingham the house which had been built in george the first's time was big and square and red and imposing there was some mixture of yellow bricks with the red and there were stone dressings which relieved the general redness but for all that dean house was essentially a red house and seen from one of the hills that rose on every side of it for this part of england is all hill and valley made a glowing spot of colour against the background of greenery there were three rows of windows seven in each row a centre of three windows and a wing on each side the topmost row was surmounted by a handsome cornice and stone pediment which gave a certain grandeur to the grave solid mansion and testified to the aspiring mind of the wealthy dean who built the house planted the three cedars that spread their dark branches above the lawn and laid down the turf of those two long bowling alleys which terminated in a grassy mound planted with obelisk-shaped cypresses at the four corners and crowned by a summer-house of the high dutch school of architecture dean house was not enshrined in the aristocratic seclusion of a park like Perriam place for instance whose walls the eye of man only beheld dimly in the remote distance solitary and unapproachable as a magician's palace dean house fronted the high road and was open to the public gaze athwart the flood iron work of a handsome gate a stone-paved walk led across the front garden where the blaze of scarlet geraniums in huge green tubs was almost painful to behold on a hot summer's day no one had ever seen a yellow leaf on those geraniums after eight o'clock in the morning indeed one must needs be an early riser to discover any trace of neglect or decay in the gardens of dean house the two old gardeners had been trained into abnormal vigilance and whatever sickly leaf or seeding blossom escaped their eyes was cropped by the stout garden scissors with which mrs stanton armed herself when she made her morning round of inspection a duty she performed daily regardless of weather the stone-paved walk terminated in a broad flight of shallow stone steps at the top of which there were half-glass doors opening into the hall this was a spacious apartment half hall half billiard-room or summer parlour commanding a fine view of the flower-garden and bowling-alley with the high dutch pavilion at the end thereof the lawn with the cedars was at one end of the house facing the five long windows of the drawing-room the dean had taken care that his house should be agreeable to look at on every side there were no ugly bits no ungainly outbuildings even the kitchen wing was a handsome piece of masonry looking out upon a wide courtyard and facing the stables a handsome range of buildings in the same style as the house the billiard-table was a relic of the late mr standon mrs standon would never have consented to buy such a thing even for a beloved only son indeed she could not quite conquer the idea that the game of billiards was sinful but the best men have their weaknesses and mr standon the banker had liked billiards his untimely death he had died at fifty-five years of age and just seven years after his marriage made the billiard-table sacred his widow would not bring herself to part with anything that had belonged to him or even to put it away ignominiously in an empty coach-house so there the billiard-table remained and edmund standon played on it under the same hanging lamp that had lighted his father he would have taught esther rochdale to play and thus secured an opponent on the premises but against this his mother put her veto with uncompromising severity 
billiards for a man might be tolerable if indulged in with moderation but for a woman only by a shiver of horror did mrs standon conclude the sentence esther sighed and obeyed as she always obeyed her adopted mother but in her heart of hearts she had a hankering for billiards the furniture of dean house was like the geraniums in the forecourt and the flowers in the flower garden dust was a thing unknown a rickety chair or a scratch upon the polished tables and sideboards had never been seen by the visitor's inquiring eye the furniture was old-fashioned without being antique it belonged to that period of universal clumsiness at the beginning of this century when the minds of men were busy with thoughts and fears about great wars and art and beauty had in a manner gone to sleep all over europe witness the furniture of the first french empire indeed art seems to have taken a nap almost as long as the sleeping beauty's magic slumber before the great awakening of the gothic revival mrs standon's furniture of which she was somewhat proud was ineffably ugly everything was in squares or parallelograms you could hardly have found hogarth's line of beauty in all the house the dark hues of old spanish mahogany and rosewood prevailed everywhere only relieved here and there by a clumsy brass moulding on a chiffonier or the brass handles of a chest of drawers the bedsteads were all awe-inspiring four-posters shrouded by voluminous curtains of drab or green damask within which a new diogenes might have made himself a hermitage where to spend his days remote from the eye of his fellow-men the drawing-room a fine apartment forty feet long was furnished en suite with ponderous rosewood tables rosewood chiffoniers rosewood sofas flat against the walls with square backs and square arms and a general hardness of aspect a cool-looking washed-out chintz shrouded the splendour of the crimson tabouret covers save on festive occasions crimson tabouret curtains fell in long straight folds on either side the five tall windows no work of art relieved the vast expanse of flowered paper white and gold somewhat tarnished with long wear a paper so expensive that it was supposed to last for a generation one tall glass over the chimney-piece reflected the empty walls and a glimpse of the garden through an opposite window two small low glasses over the chiffoniers duplicated the primrose of pekin china cups and saucers and bedraggoned bowls and bottle-shaped jars the rosewood tables were adorned with such ancient trifles as are preserved by ladies in old country houses an oblong volume of engravings the beauties of turnbridge wells tied with faded blue ribbons a keepsake of the year thirty-five which opened of itself at a poem by l e l a knitting-box in turnbridge ware an inkstand of derbyshire spar a letter-weight of cornish serpentine relics of mr and mrs standon's wedding tour a blotting-book worked in satin stitch the silks faded to palest salmons and faintest greys a set of indian chessmen presented by that generous anglo-indian kinsman whom almost every respectable family possesses in spite of the ugliness and clumsiness of the furniture the room was handsome and even pleasant space and light go for so much and the dean had spared no expense in the way of woodwork or carving mrs standon's drawing-room had a cool airy look in summer a cheering warmth in winter and outside those long windows appeared the smoothest of lawns shaded by the noblest of trees reared in such a home as dean house it would have been difficult for mr standon to deny that his lines had been cast in pleasant places yet so perverse is human nature there were seasons when the irreproachable propriety the undeviating order of his home almost worried this young man 
when he felt tempted no doubt by some satanic influence a wild yearning for a taste of some less perfect domesticity even a draught from the fiery chalice of bohemian life the servants were all old servants trained by mrs standen servants who had been with her for twenty years or so and knew her ways and might be relied upon to do the same thing always in precisely the same manner there was no preliminary skirmishing when mrs standen entertained company the largest dinner-party could not flutter the serenity of that model household the parlour-maid knew every shelf in the spacious china closets where the old wooster dinner service splendid in purple and gold and the crown derby dessert service were laid out in state as it were she knew all about the best diamond cut glass knew exactly what her mistress desired so that mrs standen had no more trouble than if she had been a duchess with an establishment of fifty servants to middle age the serenity of such a life is almost enough for content but youth is apt to revolt against this calm beatitude and there were moments when edmund standen felt that this sleepy monotonous existence had gone on a little too long the four years which he had spent on the continent as a student at a german university and afterwards as a wanderer among the famous cities of the world serving the rich man's apprenticeship to art and beauty made the only break in his life he looked back at his college days sometimes with a sigh even now in the glory of his manhood and thought of those reckless riotous fellow-students with whom the long nights had passed so swiftly in the wine-shops of heidelberg thought of vacation tours in the black forest and the various dissipations of that foreign life of which mrs stanton had but the vaguest idea had he any right to be dissatisfied with his life when his mother loved him so fondly when his wishes and his fancies were always considered by her when the grave noble face brightened at his coming come when he would and the quiet voice was always tender to him he told himself that he had no right to wish for any wider life than that jog-trod existence at dean house and that his chief duty was to be a good son this was before that fatal hour in which he fell in love with sylvia carew he had been wandering about Headingham one bright april sunday and found himself half an hour before the afternoon service in the shady old churchyard where generations of departed standards had recorded their respectability in substantial middle-class headstones it was only of late that the standards had risen to place and power as it were in Headingham. a couple of generations back they had been simple yeomen or traders edmund's grandfather had set up that banking business which had given renown to the name of standon edmund dawdled about the churchyard the sunday afternoon not knowing particularly well what to do with his leisure he had been strolling about the country in a somewhat vagabond spirit since the close of the morning service when he ought to have been partaking of the cold luncheon or early dinner which marked the sabbath day at dean house this morning he had felt that the orderly meal so provokingly exact in its resemblance to all foregoing sabbath meals would be a burden greater than he could bear so he had roamed through hawthorn scented lanes and water meadows and loitered by dusky trout streams staring at the water and wishing it were a lawful day and he were provided with his rod and sauntered through the slow placid hours they had been much more pleasantly spent in this idle commune with nature than at his mother's perfectly appointed board where he could but repeat the usual sunday small talk talk kept on purpose for the day as it seemed to edmund standen and a stare at the diamond-cut decanters and water-jug and yawn feebly in the long intervals of silence i should be glad if we regulated our lives a little less by the clock he thought as he rose reluctantly from the green bank above the trout stream where he had stretched himself in delicious rest indeed 
sometimes when my mother preaches her little sermon about punctuality i feel that i could hate the man who invented clocks how nice it must be to be a savage with no particular time for getting up or going to bed or dining or dressing nothing but perpetual liberty and the wild free woods for one's habitation he remembered however that there was a particular time for the afternoon service and that he was bound to appear thereat he had excused himself for preferring this country ramble to attendance at the family meal but there was no indulgence that would excuse his absence from afternoon service so in his anxiety to be punctual he made a little more haste than was necessary and found himself in the old churchyard half an hour too soon a small side door stood open and he looked into the church the quiet grey old gothic church with its barbarous whitewashed walls its rotten remnant of a carved oak screen its mutilated columns with faded hatchments stuck against the capitals its low gallery and clumsy organ and ponderous pulpit with monstrous sounding-board and that delicious sense of coolness and welcome shadow which made the temple almost lovely a babble of shrill voices had attracted him to this door and looking in he saw a row of small children in one of the side aisles and a girl leaning against the door of a pew with a book in her hand examining them in the church catechism this was sylvia carew the fair perfect face surprised him into such admiration as he had never felt for a woman's beauty till this hour it was like the one picture in a crowded gallery which rivets the wanderer's gaze and holds him spellbound after a half listless admiration of five hundred other pictures the one melody in all the tangled music of an opera that smites the listener's heart he had no excuse for going into the church he could only stand in the little archway and look at her admiringly almost reverently as if he had seen one of the marble angels in dame sibyl perriam's monument in the chancel yonder conjured into life while he lingered lost in contemplation of this beautiful picture the girl looked up and their eyes met in that first look which was the unfelt presage of destiny the girl blushed and then smiled and encouraged by that friendly smile edmund stanton crossed the threshold the catechism was finished miss carew's pupils had stumbled through their answers to those world-known interrogatories more awkwardly and hopelessly than village school children generally do stumble for it must be confessed that miss carew's class in the sunday school was always more backward than other classes but then as sylvia argued the people who took the other classes were fine ladies who taught for their own pleasure and prided themselves on their success as teachers while she taught those tiresome children only because she was obliged i'm afraid you find your class rather drowsy this warm day said mr standen not knowing what else to say they are always stupid and troublesome answered sylvia with a disdainful toss of her pretty head i don't think the weather makes much difference mary jane harris will you be good enough to stand on the ground instead of on my feet i brought them in here because the school was so crowded with children and teachers i think a young lady i know teaches in your sunday school there are a great many young ladies who teach answered sylvia indifferently but i don't know that their teaching does any good the young lady i mean is miss rochdale said edmund feeling that he had managed to introduce himself to the young lady in quite a creditable manner he had no doubt that she was a lady even in the headingham sense of the word he saw no signs of poverty in that neatly mended white gown which became her so admirably he only knew that she was lovelier than any living woman he had ever seen 
a reminiscence of the world of pictures rather than a creature of mortal mould i know miss rochdale to speak to said sylvia but i don't know much of her and then before edmund stanton could say another word she murmured a shy good afternoon and went away with her little flock almost as if she had melted from his sight like the memory of that old italian picture which her perfect face recalled to his mind a vision of fair tranquil beauty with golden braided hair and liquid hazel eyes this was the beginning of that passion which mrs stanton spoke of bitterly as edmund's infatuation he discovered before the day was ended that his peerless beauty was the parish schoolmaster's daughter but the discovery made very little difference in the swift growth of this fatal flame before a week was over he knew that he was passionately in love with sylvia carew that earth and heaven wore a new aspect that henceforth to be happy meant to be with her for the dull round of respectable daily life this passion spoiled him utterly the faultless machinery of domesticity at deanhouse became intolerable to him he could no longer dawdle with a decent show of contentment through the long summer evenings strolling up and down the smooth gravel or close-shaven turf looking at his mother's geraniums or pelargoniums or standard roses and lingering patiently while she clipped a leaf here or nipped off an imperfect bud there sylvia carew filled his heart and mind and he was always longing for their next meeting always recalling her last words the fluttering touch of her little hand the tender upward glance of those divine eyes accident he called it fortune favoured him sylvia and he contrived to meet very often before heddingham knew of their folly and in one soft june twilight reckless of his own future heedless of any pain this choice might inflict upon the mother who adored him he asked sylvia carew to be his wife what answer could she give him but a glad yes his was the first voice that had ever awakened tenderness in her heart and village gossip had taught her to consider him the most eligible bachelor in headingham chapters four and five